following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. I really want you to think about these questions, okay, because this is at the heart of this passage. And though we're going to be looking at what I would say is familiar text this morning, because many of you probably heard this when you were a kid. Uh, this is one of those New Testament, uh, much like David and Goliath and Samson and Delilah in the Old Testament, Noah and the Ark in the New Testament, you probably uh, were taught the Good Samaritan, right, as a parable. Um, but I'm not sure uh, <laughs> that um, we understood its message to the, the extent that um, that the Lord has imparted uh, to me. Uh, there is great new revelation that is here that I just am so excited to share with you. Um, and if we really grasp this, um, it'll revolutionize your life, uh, your perspective, your heart, your witness. Um, super excited. So first question I want to ask you, what must you do to inherit eternal life? I really want you to think about that. If someone came to you, what, what must I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? They might not use that terminology or semantically make that statement, but, but they're asking the same question, right? What, what answer would you give them? Jesus? It's a good answer. I think you could say that every time it'd be the right answer, right? Faith, right? Faith, believe, right? What's that? Repent, Repent, right? And those are like, those are biblical answers, right? But yet in this passage, this expert of the law gives an answer. Arguably, I mean, clearly from the Old Testament, his paradigm, like, like, you know, one of the things we got to be careful about is when we're reading this, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're a couple thousand years down the road, right? And we got to remember this is pre-Pentecost. This is a Jewish context. This is Old Testament, you know, circumstances and understandings. So like, put yourself in that context as this is going on so that there'll be greater understanding. Um, but he gives an answer that Jesus says, Money, like perfect. That's that's the answer. And I don't think it's the answer that we usually give to someone, maybe even to our own hearts when we ask that very question. And he says this, he says, love God with all your heart, all your mind, your soul, and your strength. Love him with all of you, all that you are, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Quoting Deuteronomy and Leviticus, right? Putting... Those together, and Jesus says, Bingo, that is it. Do this and you will live. Have you ever thought of that being your answer to someone that's asking for the hope that lies within you? Have you ever thought, like, the answer to the question, How do I inherit eternal life? Because usually the question comes with the connotation of, What must I do? What work must I achieve? How can I solve my dilemma, my debt? How can I please God where he would, how can I do enough so he'll let me in to his presence? And, uh, and the answer 
that is given and affirmed is that love God with all that you are and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, bingo. Have you ever given that answer to someone when they ask that question? That's the answer. And it's interesting because at, it, it's not like, I mean, it's not that, that, that John 3.16 doesn't have the answer. Believe, repent, believe, trust, acknowledge him for who he is. Because, and we'll talk about that. Second question that's asked in this is, you know, well, what does the Bible say? What, what, what is, you know, if what must I do to, inter- to, in- to inherit eternal life? You know, I, I'm hoping that for you as it is for me and for most of us is that, you know, if we're, if, we're, if we're looking to give an answer, that answer is found in the truth of God's word. In that it's not some opinion or some perspective that I have that can be skewed or misunderstood, that we go back to truth, that we're always looking to speak the truth um, to the to the questions that are asked of ourselves or of, by others. And then the, the, the final question that's asked in this in this text is, who is my neighbor? In an effort to justify himself, he asked the question, so who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? Everyone. Good. Let's read the passage together. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Luke 10, uh, 25 to 37. I want to welcome those that are listening online. It's pretty amazing. I'm celebrating the church in Africa right now that listens every week uh, to our to our messages and uh, has sent uh, great. And thank you for your encouraging letters. Um, but uh, But just let's dive in together to... Uh, hear the truth of God's word. Uh, We're going to pick up in Luke 10, verse 25 through 37, and it says this. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine, Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He asked. The expert in the law said this the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus answered him, you go 
and do likewise. All right, here we go. You ready? This is good. So the first verse here says, and behold, a lawyer, uh, an expert in Mosaic law. Okay. And I don't have time to unpack all of this. Um, If you want to hang out for a couple, three hours, we can do this and I would love it, but I'm not going to subject you to all of that. If, uh, if, if you want to, let's have lunch. Okay. So um, a lawyer, an expert in law stood up. So I'm going to stop there for a moment. This, this, you know, I think a lot of times we don't interject ourselves into the moment. We don't really put ourselves in the story or in the event, so to speak. And, um, and we lose so much from not doing that. I want you to imagine I'm here teaching this morning and all of a sudden someone stands up, say a lawyer like Mike stands up and just says, or like John stands up and says, Hey, I got a question and I really, I I need the answer to this. Um, it, it seems a little combative, right? Um, there's an objective, um, uh, but maybe an objection that's being made here. Uh, maybe he's trying to present his case. Whatever the case may be, this is his orientation. But in my heart, you know, who else asked this question? The same exact question. We did this months ago. The rich young ruler asked the very same question. But do you think that the rich young ruler in his heart really wanted to know the answer? I, I, I believe sincerely he did, and I believe this guy does too. I, I'm not sure I celebrate the approach. I'm not sure he's acknowledging who he's talking to here. But, but there's a test that happens, right? We don't hear that with a rich young ruler, so there's an intention there. But, but I, I really believe he wants to know the answer here. So he stood up and put him, being Jesus, to the test. Um, God, does God test us? Right, we're told that. James clearly outlines that for us. Do we test God? I mean, clearly we're told Jesus even uses it uh, against the enemy in, in, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 in the, in the desert, remember? Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Right? There's only one, one area that God has kind of invited us to test him in. What, where's that? In giving, right? Right. So, um, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let me ask a question. What's wrong with the question? Ah, what should I do? I and do, (laughs) right? He's never going to get an answer that's going to get him what he's looking for because it's all about what he can do or should do and it's all about works, right? So it's... Pretty fascinating how Jesus kind of answers. He he actually gives him answer in the form of a question. So is it good that God tests us? Why does God test us? He loves us, right? To refine us. Mary Beth, that's awesome. Right? He's he's purifying us. What else? He's growing us, right, to maturity. He's revealing things to us through the test. What's his hope for the test that we face? Faith, right? Like, what's he testing? He's testing our faith in him. So it's good for us to know what he's after when we're being, when you're being tested, is it good to know the material? Like, is it good to know the out? Yeah, so like, God is testing our faith. He wants to increase our faith. He wants to, he wants to refine and define us in himself, so, you know, God can be 
angry and be righteous. God can be jealous and be righteous. God can test and be righteous. But often, have you ever tested somebody? I'm not talking about teachers. Like, I mean, you, you get to do that. But like, I mean, sometimes that's sinister, isn't it? Sometimes it's judgmental and critical when you're testing somebody, right? God does that well. We need to be careful. So um, to answer the question, you know, what, what must I do to, in, to, in, to inherit eternal life? Many, many of us would, would you know, and, and I think rightly so, say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Is that a good answer? That's a good answer. Believe. Believe in the one that, that God sent. Jesus didn't affirm that, that answer. In John 1.12, I'm going to share some answers that I think are still very good answers, excellent answers, um, even ideal. Um, John 12, uh, excuse me, John 1.12, Jesus says this, but to all who received him, uh, John shares, um, who believed in his name, he, the Lord Jesus, gave the right to become children of God. So believed in his name. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says this, because if you confess with your, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Is that a promise? Is that, is that, can we stand on that? Can we answer even with this answer? Now, one of the things we got to, we got to put this in context. He's talking to an Old Testament expert, right? Uh, we have, we have, we have new information, <laughs> Praise God. It's good news, right? That, that Jesus is the answer. He's the one that loved God with all of his heart, mind, strength, and soul and loved his neighbor as himself. Amen? Right? He did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he did. He fulfilled it on our behalf. And now we get to participate in his reward or, rant or, 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 I mean, his resume, his righteousness is now imputed to us by faith. But that's not a change in, in what God was doing from the days of Noah and Abraham. How was Abraham possibly declared righteous? Because Abraham believed God. And it was imputed to him as righteousness. Noah believed and trusted God. But these, but listen, let me be very clear. Biblical belief, like sometimes we think that belief is, um, I, I, I think that, I think that he's, he's, he's God and he was risen from the grave. But you know, what we really believe is what we live. Are you with me? What we really believe is what we live. And, and that's why the word trust has a, has a very strong connotation to, and it, and it really has that, that element to it. Like, we can't separate that tr- genuine belief. Like, I mean, James says it this way. I'll show you what I, what I believe by what I do. Genuine faith works, and genuine faith works, right? Um, so here we, we this is a, this is this is New Testament response. It's ideal. If you confess your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. What does that word mean? It's it's critical to our to our text today. What does the word justified mean? Declared not guilty. Thank you, Donna. Right? So that's what we have to understand. With the heart, one believes and is declared not guilty of all your sin, paid for in whole. And with the mouth, one confesses, confesses what? That he's Lord and is saved. 
And what that word saved means is brought back to life, rescued, right? From sin and darkness. Like you are literally transformed, like it's new creation. And, and let, me, let me be clear about 2 Corinthians 5.17. It's not like you've, you've kind of been fixed. You're new. It's a new heart and a new spirit. You're a new creation. This is, what, this is the glorious work. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is a good answer to what must we do to inherit eternal life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, this grace. It is a gift of God. See, one of the things we, we must understand as we go into this particular moment here is that Jesus is not telling him that he has to be perfect to make it. But that's exactly what he's telling him. Because without help, no one's getting there. And Jesus is our help. Do you know what Jesus said to them? He said, I'm going to send you another what? Helper. We, we were desperate for help. And that is, is basically grace. Unmerited favor. Not as a result of works. Like our faith is, isn't even a work. It's, a, it's an acknowledgement of his work. So that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. We were created through the cross in Christ Jesus for the purpose of good works. Now, please don't misunderstand. Works will never get us saved, but once you're saved, it's all you want to do for the glory of God. We work like for him because he's done all the work for us. And it's done out of gratitude, not out of necessity. Right? Like we're doing it just to show him our affection, our love, our worship, our serve. Like, and it's what God intended for our salvation to manifest itself with and in. Does that make sense? So I love that Jesus answers his question with an answer in the form of a question, right? He says in verse 26, he said to him, being Jesus, what is written in the law and how do you read it? And man, when you dig into this, this is a phenomenal like response. It's perfect. It's perfect. It's the perfect question. Because what he's saying is, what does God's word say? Guys, have you ever had questions in life? You ever had questions about life? What does God's word say? Isn't that, isn't that what we should, that's our default. That's, that should be what we, what we hear. Like, what does God's word say about this question? And then we become these knock, seek, and ask people that we seek him with earnest and, and pursuant hearts, right? So he asked this question, what does, what does, what does the word of God say? And, and when you are tested, this should be the question you ask also. And I'm not talking about just from individuals, but from God. Or even when you feel like self-tested. You ever had that experience? <laughs> like, you know, like, what's the right response? What does God's word say? There it is. This is why we hide scripture in our hearts, that we might not sin against him. Do you know that what sin is? Like we were told in James that sin is even knowing the good you ought to do and not doing it. It is sin for you. That's what it says. Knowing the good you ought to do and not doing it is sin for you. Like, so today's May 1st. We have a new memory verse. It's right out there on the cards. Like 
Well, it's really in the Bible, but like it's on these cards, right? Like we put them on these so that you can take them, put them in your pocket. We put them all over the place, like so that you can, and then, and then dwell in them, meditate on them. You know how these messages come to fruition for me? It's not from commentary. It's from meditation. I'm telling you, it's from just letting God like give it to me. Let the author himself speak it to me first. Like, do you, do you like secondhand information? I don't. And we can get firsthand information from the author himself. Meditate. Like, take these challenges and these opportunities seriously and hide God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. So, how do you interpret it? This is what he says. How do you interpret it? How do you read it? How do you see it? I love this. This lit me up. Right? Like, so... The question is, from whose perspective? How do you see God's word? From his or your perspective? Can I challenge you in in this? If you choose to see his word from his perspective and not yours, it lights up. When you believe that the scripture is about Jesus and not about you, That's what kind of causes us to, to not see it. Is when Because that's what we tend to do, right? We make everything about us. But whenever you make things about him, let me tell you what's going to happen. Great clarity. Great perspective. Jesus asks him, how do you read it? How do you see it? How do you interpret it? Verse 27, he, and he answers, you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart. How much room does that leave for loving anyone else? But, but, but should we love our wives? Should we love our children? Should we love? You know, Jesus said a curious thing. He said, he said, your love for them, including your love for yourself, should pale in comparison to your love for me to the degree that it appears as hate. That's what it says. That's what he said. Otherwise, you're not, worth, you're not going to follow me unless you love me that way. Because it's going to be hard. You're going to come up against things where it's going to be like, are you going to love you or love me? You know what I'm saying? I'm talking practically here. Like every choice that you make, you make based on what you love. Why do we protect ourselves? Because we love ourselves. Right? Like, or why, why do we make decisions based on money? Because we love money. And so, like, it's, it's super practical. Like, and, and look, it's not meant to be, the Christianity is a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me be clear. It is not a religion. It's not based in works. It's based in a love relationship with the God of the universe. And Jesus says at the end of the day, if, if we don't know each other, if you're not my bride, if there's not intimacy here, there's a different destination. And that's, that's super clarifying. Because he says stuff like this. He says, many will say, Lord, Lord, on that day. I mean, they call him Lord, but it's not true. He says earlier, he says, he says, don't say Lord, Lord, and not do what I say, because it's a lie. It's not true. You can call him Lord Jesus Christ, and few do, but even among the few, there are some that make that statement, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't manifest itself in their life. 
He said the answer was this what the expert of the Lord said, love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So how do you love God? How do you love God? Anybody here last week? <laughs> we got we had a wonderful message on this, right? Clearly, we, we were told Jesus tells us his love language. He says, obey me, just like I obey my father. And, and this beautiful thing will happen. I will reveal myself to you. I will show myself to you. I will manifest myself to you. And then John used the, the perfect illustration of Luke 5, where Jesus shows Peter who he is. And Peter doesn't care about fish anymore. And so how do we love God? Well, clearly obedience, he's told us that, but, but, but we had a great discussion at men's breakfast on Friday. There's five love languages, right? Can we love God through acts of service? Yeah. Quality time? Do you think he receives that as love? What about, what about words of affirmation? Do you think that when we sing on Sunday mornings or any other time of the week, do you think, do you think God receives that as love? What about gifts? Should we bring gifts to the Lord? Should those gifts kind of match up the, the gratitude we should have for all he's done for us? Give as you've been given. Be rich towards the Lord. What about touch? Now this is obscure, but it's, but it's awesome. Because he says, when you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto... We can, we can, we can love through physical touch. I mean, right. I mean, you ever hugged somebody in Jesus name? I mean, I was serious. Like in your intention, you just, you just wanted them to see Jesus's love and tangible affection and you've just held them. You ever done that? Do you think Jesus is feeling loved in that moment? He is right. It's so good. And so the question is, or the statement is with all of your heart. And so he, he doesn't want us to have any other gods before him. And, and boy, Israel was so guilty of idolatry and adultery because they loved someone other than their bridegroom, their, their husband. God referred to himself that way. And the church is no different, right? We have a bridegroom who loves us and he's jealous for our hearts. He wants us to love Noah and it's what's best for us. Look, 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 look with me at Matthew 5. Now look, in the Beatitudes, again, this is another scripture that gets mis- misinterpreted. So what does it say here? It says, blessed are the pure in heart. What does that mean? What, what does it mean to be pure in heart? Does that mean to just, uh, anybody here pure in heart? Because that's, our, that's our, our definition is broken, so no one's raising their hands. The, the word here, pure in heart, means an undivided heart for God. That's what it means. It's pure in its pursuit of him. And what he's telling us here is that we will see him. Doesn't this sound a lot like John 14, 21, 23 that we talked about last week? I will show myself to you, right? It's, it's, it's about having an unwavered pursuit and passion that, is lo- that loves nothing other than him. That's what he's saying here. This, this, this is what internal life is all about. And he says, for they will see, they will see me. 
This is God himself speaking this. John 14 is a reminder of what the the wonderful message from last week, verses 21 to 23. I'll, I'll be concise. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, has them and keeps them, he it is who what? Loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us? And I love this. Judas, the other Judas is concerned about the world. That's awesome. And not to the world. Jesus answered him, if anyone, to answer your question, Judas, loves me, right? He will keep my word and my father will love him. And don't you love this Trinitarian word here? We, (laughs) and we will come to him and make our home with him. You know, if we make our home with him, he makes our home with us. You know, I, I heard it this morning. Home is where the heart is. Doesn't that, isn't that rich? When you think about it, like, where's your heart? Is it at home with him? You know, what you treasure in life, right? We're told where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can I ask you this morning, is God your treasure? Is he your pursuit and passion and delight? What are you treasuring in life? And you know what's difficult? When you treasure things of this world, even other people that are shrouded in in bodies that are destined for dust, that can be very painful because those things are all in decay. Solomon said it this way. It's, it's meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. He says, the whole duty of man is this, to fear God and obey his commandments. Now, doesn't that take on a whole new level of understanding when you understand obeying his commandments is how we love God? Doesn't that light up? Hmm, so good. So let me share some observations here. Every aspect of our lives should be loving the Lord. Here, exercise for this afternoon. Go through your life. Go through your calendar. Go through what you're doing in life and ask yourself, is this loving Jesus? And if it isn't, maybe you need to make some adjustments. Or maybe it's just the motive in that moment or in that endeavor. Next observation. It is a complete and thorough love for him. Thirdly, Are you loving him? First and best, are you loving him? This is what we were made for. Do you realize that that's what we're made for? We were made to, we were made by him and for him. And, and listen, when you do what you were made to do, trust me, that's when life seems mm, like you're in the zone. The Holy Spirit empowers this purpose. Do you know what the Holy Spirit wants to do? He wants to help you love God and love people. Do you believe that this morning? That's what he wants you to do. The heart, so just to kind of clarify this, what, is, what does it mean, love him with all our heart, mind, strength, and soul? What does that mean? Well, I love that, I love that the Greek word for heart is, anybody know what it is? Cardia. Doesn't that make sense? <laughs> right? So like the heart is the center of emotions, desires, and affections. Right? So we're to love him with our desires, our affections, and our emotions. Secondly, the soul is a person's being, or I like this, uniqueness. 
right? It's the unique uh, aspect of why God created you and using the uniqueness that is you to love him back, right? Strength refers to our drive or our will. What are you using your drive and will for? To love him? To love you? The mind is the center of intellect. It's thinking. We talk about it all the time. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. He keeps him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. Right? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Like loving him with our thoughts. Like, and I think it goes even further than that. Loving him with our creativity. Right? Love must be complete. This is what we're being told here. Then we move from vertical in this conversation to horizontal, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, with that in mind, I want to I bring this to, to bear on our thoughts. In, in Luke 6, 31, it says, And as you wish others would do for you, do so for them. So, you know, you might say that that's a kind of a low bar, love others as I love myself. I don't really love myself, but you really do. I mean, what would you, what would you, what would you withhold from yourself? If you're hungry, do you eat? If you want that shirt, do you buy it? If you like that car, do you kind of find a way to get it? But are you doing those things for other people? Especially those that need those things. Philippians 2, uh, verse 3 and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And in fact, verse 5 goes on to say, having the same attitude or mindset as that of Christ Jesus. That's Jesus' mindset. That he made himself less so that we could be more. He, he was not so wrapped up in his own interest that he wasn't concerned about yours. Are we like that? Matthew 25, to, to, to belabor the point, in verse 40 it says, And the king will answer them, truly. And the king here is Jesus, the glorified king. I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers, this is clearly saying that there is a... Uh, look, w- would, you, would you do... If, if two people needed something and it was a stranger and your wife, who are you going to give it to if you only have one? Right? There's precedence here that Jesus is saying, when you've done it to a member of my body, Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He is clearly, clearly, and if you study this, clearly saying, when you've done it to the least of these brothers of mine, or my brothers, you did it for me. And as I mentioned earlier, it helps to clarify the attitude in which we do it when we do it for Jesus. Continuing in our passage, verse 28 continues to say, And he said to them, You have answered correctly, O expert in the law. Do this, and you will live. Now, is he actually telling them, like, with conviction that he's going to accomplish it? Is that what Jesus is saying? Do this, and you will live? No, he's actually quoting a Leviticus passage. And this is what the passage says. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, all of them, completely and perfectly, he shall live by them, for I am the Lord. Okay, so how are you doing at loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength as we've described that and loving your neighbor as yourself? Anybody falling short? You know, Jesus is not saying here, go and do this so you can earn eternal life. Are you with me? He is saying, 
if you, you know, I, I know what your heart is here. You're trying to figure a way to get this done in your own strength by works. So here you go. Do that and you'll live. But what do we end up with when we, when we have any effort in that direction? We, we, we clearly say, I can't. Do you know that the whole Sermon on the Mount is filled with moments where we, we go, you know, in, in chapter 5, verse 48, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How you doing? I, I failed the moment I read it. I had a thought or something. You know, I mean, like, here's, here's the thing. It's like none of that was meant to put this weight on us, but to point us to the one who could fulfill all of that and offer you his ransom, his resume his reward and, 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 and did it for that purpose so that he could rescue you from a debt that you could not pay. And then what he says to you is do the same for others. Go relieve other people's debts with the resources that I've entrusted you with. Holy spirit, money, time. Are you, are we doing that? Cause this is what he gets to in this, this parable, right? Go out and do for others what I've done for you, right? I've relieved your debt. I've paid your, 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 your ransom. I've, I've, I've done for you what you couldn't do. So go do for other people what they can't do for themselves. When's the last time you've done that? This fulfills the law. Do it and you will live. Problem, we can't, right? We need what? We need help. We need the helper, right? Jesus said, uh, I'm going to send you one, right? Like that's, I'm going to, I'm going to give you like the, the, the gift of God, right? But it's grace we need, right? We need unmerited favor, favor from God, the only one that can rescue us. And we need the kind of favor that is not based on whether I, I'm good or bad. Do you, guys, let's be careful we're not running around um, being critical of other people's behavior. Because, look, behavior is an indicator of belief. And it's true for you, too. We behave what we believe. So really, the problem isn't behavior. The problem is what, 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 what belief is driving that behavior. Does that make sense? If we change what we believe, we behave differently. And, and, and then the, the greater work is when we, when we believe that Jesus is who he's, just exactly who he says he was and is, then we have help to behave properly. And we're so desperate for that. So verse 29 says, And he, desiring to justify himself, he's not getting it, right? I'm going to put this together because he asked, What can I do? What's he doing? He's still trying to just declare himself not guilty. He's trying to, <laughs> do you see it? Right? But he desiring to justify himself. Look, how's that going to work out? If someone, and look, we have people around us all the time that are going, I said, you know, you ask them, are, are you going to heaven? Do you believe in heaven? Sure. Yeah. Are you going there? Yeah. Well, based on what understanding or criteria, like, well, I'm pretty good. I mean, you'll hear that. I'm a pretty good person. I think my good outweighs my bad. Wow. Really? That, that, that's not going to work. No. It's, it's not good enough. You know? But Jesus is. He's good. So, 
question. Um, you know, so he asks a question of Jesus, who is my neighbor? Well, I don't think he likes the answer. Because at the end of the story, he, he can't even say Samaritan. This is how much hatred, prejudice was between these two ancestral families. Right? The northern kingdom had kind of intermarried, done what God told him not to do as if the southern kingdom didn't do that. Right? And yet now you are, you're half-breeds. Right? You're no good. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to be around you. Like, it's prejudging. And I just want to ask you again this morning, because we talk about this often. Are, are you prejudging people based on your paradigm, ancestral influence? Do you have a, a certain color you just don't have the same regard for? Or, or that's, I, I think it clearly speaks to this. I think we're called to love our neighbor. You don't get to pick your neighbors. They move in. Right? Can, can we justify ourselves before God? I don't think so. We can't be justified by works. So, because the question is, how good is good enough? I think the standard is perfect. That's the standard I see that, that's, that's outlined, and, and none of us are perfect. You know, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And so we need, we need help. We need a helper. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, it says there, Therefore, since we have been, past tense, can we agreed on that? Past tense. Justified, past tense, by what? Right? Declared not guilty. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, only by him and through him, we have also obtained access to him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Isn't that sweet? So with all that backdrop, we, Jesus tells a parable. Now here's the thing. If we, don't, if we don't dig into the backdrop of this, we think this parable is about helping people out when they're hurting and when they're on the... And should we do that? Absolutely. Is that Jesus' point? Absolutely not. That's not his primary point. He's answering the question, what must we do to, to inherit eternal life? That's what he's getting at. He is, he is speaking right into the heart of this question, which is critical for us today and most critical for his, his, his current audience in this context. So let's read the parable. Jesus replied, a man, clearly a Jewish man, they wouldn't have considered anybody else, a man was going down but about a 3,000... Anyway, that's not, that's not relevant uh, as far as elevation. Um, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, 17-mile track. Now, this is, this is a very rocky terrain. This, I mean, it was notorious for robbers hiding and, and ambushing and all of that. He fell among robbers... Okay. Now I want to make I want to draw a parallel here because guys, if you stick with me, this is going to blow your mind. This is awesome. He, he fell among robbers. What does John ten ten say? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Right. Just keep that in mind. Right. He fell among thieves who stripped him and beat him. And departed and left him half dead. Do you think the enemy has done the same to humanity? Isn't it clear? 
He came and robbed us from something. Our righteous robe. Life, 2 Corinthians 5 says. He stole, he stole our relationship with God. And he didn't really steal it. We kind of gave it to him. But listen, I, I want you to make this connection because it says, leaving him half dead, he would die without help. Do you see it? What would happen to us if we didn't have help? Guys, here's what I'm saying this morning. Jesus is pointing to the Good Samaritan. Who's the Good Samaritan? Jesus. Are you with me? What is he always doing? He's pointing to himself as the answer. Let's not make this story out to be anything other than what he's trying to answer the question here because we would die without his help too. Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. Now what would you expect the priest to do? Right? And let me make a clear point because they're like, you know, people said, oh, well, you know, he didn't want to make himself ceremonial unclean because he could have been dead and then he wouldn't be able to do his job. No. Look, he's leaving Jerusalem and going to Jericho. Okay? So that, that, that doesn't hold water. Like, he just... Look, for us, it's so sad. We'd rather give five bucks than five minutes. In our busy mentality, you know, it's like maybe someone else can take care of that. So it says... You know, by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, so let's not be like, oh, I didn't see it. You know, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Other side. Like, that's avoidance. Have you ever done that? You ever, you ever seen a divine appointment like pop up right in the middle of your crazy busy schedule and just say, nah. So likewise, the Levite when he came to that place, saw him and passed by on the other side of the road. See, religion can't rescue you or heal you. And that's part of what's being said here is, and what we have to understand is, it's like there's no, there's no mankind that can do the healing that was necessary for this man. But can I ask you a question? Did Jesus pass by on the other side? Are you with me? He didn't pass by on the other side. And when he came to that place, he, he saw, he saw us. He didn't leave us. Jesus left heaven to come and rescue us, to meet us in this moment where we are broken, robbed, stolen, and dying. But a Samaritan. Now, I don't know about you, that that doesn't that doesn't cause any sort of angst in my heart but to first century readers to when jesus first said this they would have said what like don't make him the hero i want to tell you possibly why he makes the samaritan the hero what did jews think about samaritans they hated him what did they think about jesus ultimately But a Samaritan, as he journeyed from heaven to earth, came, makes me want to cry, came to where he was. Has Jesus come to where, did he meet you where you are? And when he saw him, 
as Jesus does, he had compassion. Don't we see that in every account where Jesus is tired and worn out, and yet there's so much need, it says, and he was filled with compassion. Do you know that that's why he came to rescue you? Some observations. Jesus journeyed to where we were and was not welcomed. He saw us and had compassion. Much like the Samaritan, Jesus was hated by those he helped and saved. We were robbed and Jesus rescued us and healed us at his expense. At his expense. Jesus sacrificed for our healing. He did for us what others wouldn't or couldn't do. Do you see it? Doesn't this change the whole Good Samaritan story to be answering this, this, this expert of the law's question? And Jesus is saying, I'm your Good Samaritan. Verse 34, he went to him and bound up his wounds. You know, we understood that what he did was he had to tear his clothes It's not like he's running around with band-aids. He had to tear his clothes. Did Jesus tear his clothes for us? Pouring on oil and wine, and I don't even have time to get into that. Then he set him on his own animal. Right? I I, I think of the donkey and 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 Hosanna in the highest, and like, you know, he, he he shared his inheritance with us. But, but he, if he set him on his own animal, then what's the, the Samaritan doing? He's walking. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he brought him to an inn. Do you know that he's going to bring us to a house that he's prepared for us? And he took care of him because he's our good shepherd. It's what he does. And the next day he took out two denarii. Now this is a, day, a denarii is a day's wage, and I studied this in 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 this context that would have provided for two weeks lodging, two weeks. And he gave them to the innkeeper, keeper, saying, "Take care of him." I see this as the body of Christ, and whatever this 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 was probably one of my favorite moments as the Lord was unpacking this for me. Don't miss this. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Hello? Do you see it? Like, I never saw that before. Right? And it goes back to Jesus saying, how do you read it? Do you see it from your perspective? Or do you see it from my perspective? Is this about Jesus? Or is it about you? Is the scripture about Jesus? And he says this, he says, and I will repay you when I come back. Guys, store for yourselves treasures in heaven where rust and moth do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like what he's saying, like, is there rewards when he comes back? Right? And, 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 and are you an innkeeper that isn't like the one when Mary and Joseph showed up in Nazareth that your door is closed? Is your door wide open to the opportunities to to care for those that are in need of mercy? I loved that. And finally, verse 36 and 37. Which of these three, Jesus asked, speaking of the Levite, the priest, and that's a whole other 
area. Um, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. He couldn't even say Samaritan. That tells you a little bit about what's going on there. And Jesus saw. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Because look, it's in serving, in an attempt to serve the Lord, we, we learn that our motives sometimes aren't good and our attitudes stink. And, and then we, there's, the shift has to be made. Like, look, I've got to do this to love him or I'm not going to do this well. Some observations here. The expert of the law could not say Samaritan. The priest and the Levite loved themselves more than their neighbor. How about you? Do you show others this kind of mercy? This parable certainly addresses prejudice. I've mentioned that. What keeps you from showing the mercy Jesus showed you? Can you really answer that question today? I really ask you to ponder on that. What's keeping you from showing the mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. What's what's keeping you from showing the mercy Jesus showed you? And then who is your neighbor that you are to love? I'm confident if you are a spirit-filled believer this morning, that right now the Holy Spirit is, is putting names on your heart or a name right now. And I hope that today you will race to that moment. You don't pick your neighbors, they move in. I said that. Love is costly. Do you see that here? Love is costly. So I have a question as the worship team comes. Have you put your trust in our good Samaritan Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? Do you love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul? And are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Do you know him? Do you love him with all of your self, all that you are? If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, or maybe you're among that that sad group that will declare Lord, but it's not true. It's not it's not real. And you know it. You know he's not Lord because you're not living out lordship. And you're desperate for the helper that Christ has promised. Man, if you put your trust in him, he will put his spirit in you and he will finish what you can't. And he's good. He will. If that's you today, I'm going to I'm going to offer these words as a prayer, and I just encourage you to stand and with all your heart say them with me. Say them. If you need to renew your your commitment to Christ today, stand and 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 state these words with with intention if they're true for you. Let's pray. Thank you Lord Jesus for your love and grace. Thank you for being the good Samaritan that helped me off the the wide road that leads to destruction. Please forgive me of my many sins through the complete and thorough work of the cross. I put my trust in you and I surrender my will to yours. I believe that you love me and have loved me and died for me and rose again to conquer sin and death. From this day forward, please help me to live for you 
In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.